Thank you, Allie. And if you have a Bible with you this morning, you might want to turn over to 1 Samuel. We're going to be kind of uh, in that book and into some different places in that book. I love reading biographies. Uh, There's something about the stories of those who have gone before. And one of my favorite people, uh, biographies, is Abraham Lincoln. Many of you might know that I lived in his hometown for about nine years. So I walked the streets uh, where he walked. In the 1930s, Carl Sandburg published a four-volume masterpiece entitled Abraham Lincoln, The War Years. And the title of the 75th chapter just following Lincoln's assassinations is a great title. Sandburg pulls it from an old proverb. The title is, A Tree is Best Measured When It's Down. I like that, don't you? He's saying there's something about a person's life that you, you can't necessarily see in the middle, but when you look back over it, you can see it. And the same is true for many of the people who are mentioned in the Bible. As we read their stories, we can understand more about what God was doing and, and, and how God was moving in those days and times. We think of guys like Jacob tricking his brother and in turn being tricked by his own father-in-law who substituted the wrong sister on the wedding day. You might remember that story. We have Joseph, the coat of many colors, the angry betrayal of his brothers. You might remember Moses, and Moses was one of the least likely ones to lead the people out of Egypt, but he was the one that God called. The list could go on and on. Samson and Esther and Jonah, not to mention Mary and Peter and Paul. There's something about these stories that inspire us. Now today we're going to begin a sermon series on one man's life, a man by the name of David. It's worth noting that there are more chapters, in fact, 141 of them, devoted to the life of David, more than any other person in the Bible except for God himself. David is also mentioned more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament person. I promise you, you will not grow tired in this story. This morning we're going to introduce David's life and talk about him, but we're going to be in this story for for many, many weeks to come. Kind of an overview of David. David is a man of contrast. He's certainly committed to God, yet we find him guilty of some of the most grievous sins. His life is full of frustration. In the beginning, he lives in the shadow of his brothers and in time lives in the shadow of Saul. David's a great warrior, and yet we find him falling in a sin in a particular night with Bathsheba, a a time that will produce tremendous consequences for him. David fathers one of Israel's greatest kings, Solomon, and at the same time he fathers Absalom who rebels against him. See, David's life is a roller coaster, highs and lows. It's anything but boring, I promise you. We're going to be reading selected passages from 1 Samuel, and uh, as we dive into David's story, it's appropriate for us to kind of know the story before David comes on to the scene. In fact, if we're going to understand David, we've got to understand what's going on here in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel begins with the story of Hannah and then moves on to young Samuel being called by God as a prophet. You see, God had set up these system, uh, this system of priests, and these priests would point to God as the one true king. In, in other words, Israel did not have a king in those days. But things were not working out as God intended. You see, the priest's sons were corrupt. And so God calls Samuel as a prophet. And Samuel thinks that his sons will follow him. But Samuel's sons turn out to be corrupt too. Flip over to chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. I'll be reading in the first three verses here. 
1 Samuel 8, beginning in verse 1, we read, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. And so God instructs Samuel to anoint a king. Now, this is a big transition for the people of God. They never had a king before. And in 1 Samuel chapters 9 through 15, we have the story of Saul. It's an important story to understand if we're going to understand David's story. And I don't want to spend too much time in the details. But we find Saul on a search for lost donkeys. His father had sent him out in chapter 9. Saul and his servant travel to a city and Samuel is there. Flip over to chapter 9, verse 6. But the servant replied, look in this town. There's a man of God. He is highly respected and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. Now, at the same time, Samuel receives word from God about Saul. Verse 15. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. And So there's a series of events here. Samuel summons the people together, and he tells them that Saul is going to be their king. Now, flip over to chapter 15. This is the very end of this uh, section here. 1 Samuel 15 provides a backstory that we need to know if we're going to understand David's story. God sends Saul into battle with a people called the Amalekites. He gives them specific instructions in verse 3. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now there's all sorts of questions about this command. I mean, it seems a little barbaric in our culture doesn't it? Especially the part about children and infants. But we have to understand that this is the culture of the ancient Middle East and this was considered necessary as a transition in culture. And while it's hard for us to swallow, we need to know that it's God's instruction in this case. So Saul goes and he attacks. He's victorious. And look at what he does in verse 9, 1 Samuel 15, 9. But Saul and the army spared Agag. And the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good, these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroy. So it's not that Saul is trying to avoid killing children and infants here. It, it, apparently he does do that, but he doesn't do what God tells him to do. He keeps the good stuff for himself. And God speaks to Samuel the prophet in verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Now, let's walk through this story together. Samuel goes to Saul to confront his disobedience. He tells Saul, look, you've disobeyed. Look at how Saul responds in verse 20. But, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. I brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. 
the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. You see what he's doing here? He's avoiding the blame on the one hand, and he's saying, look, they didn't do exactly what you told them to do, God, but they were going to give it back to you anyways, right? In other words, he's lying here, and he's trying to weasel out of the situation. But look at how Samuel responds in verse 22. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So Saul is rejected as king. He was not obedient. And even though he was rejected by God... He remains on the throne. And and so in essence here we have two worlds. We have a political world where Saul is still king. And we have a spiritual world where Saul has been rejected as king. And it is in this context that David enters the story. You see we have to understand this if we want to understand the first part of David's story. One scholar describes this period of time in one phrase. He says, the people were on a long drift from God. The people were on a long drift from God. All the way back to the priest Eli. Eli thought his sons would carry on his work, but they were corrupt. And God moved on to Samuel. Samuel thought his sons would carry on the work. But as we read earlier, they too were corrupt. And so Saul, and so, so God moves on to Saul as king. And we think that Saul is the one, and while God does give him a shot, he fails. And God then moves on to David. You see, this is the tension in the story. David is coming onto the scene, and David is not the one that the people think should be king. And as often is the case, we don't always see as God sees. You know, that would be the case with Jesus too. God does not always work the way that we think he should work. Jesus shows up on the scene and people fail to recognize him. They're looking for someone to come in power, not humility. They're looking for someone to be born in a palace, not a stable. They're looking for someone who would overthrow the powers of the world, not die on a cross. And in the same way, when David comes on the scene, people don't recognize him. They're looking for someone strong and powerful. And yet we find a boy watching sheep. This dynamic reminds me of what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Allie read it earlier. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You see, David, as he comes onto the scene, is not a king by human standards, but God sees what we cannot see. God knows David's heart and he's the perfect man for the job. 
You know, sometimes introduction sermons like this can be tedious. I want to give you background so that you can have the tools that you need to understand the rest of the story. And sometimes these sermons fall short on application. But this morning, I want to spend the last part of this sermon highlighting a few characteristics of David that should challenge us. And I'm going to propose that David was the man. He was the man because he had a heart that was in the right place. And I'm going to propose that God chose David because he was the right kind of person. Now, he's anything but perfect. You're going to find that out as we go through the story together. His life is full of ups and downs. But at the same time, he's described as a man after God's own heart. I mean, what does that mean? And if David is described as a man after God's own heart, should we not also want to be a people after God's own heart? You know, when I think of someone after God's heart, I think of someone who is in tune with God. I think of someone who is constantly listening, constantly discerning the direction of God. I think of someone who's burdened by the things that burden God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, we read, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. You know, that describes David. Does it describe you and me? What does God want from us? He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts to be fully in line with his heart. So what is it about David's heart that reflects a heart after God's heart? There seem to be at least a few characteristics. We're going to get into this, these as we go through the story, but I want to kind of highlight these this morning. First of all, David is a man of humility. While his brothers are off creating an image for themselves... They're fighting battles. David is quietly watching sheep, serving in the foothills. He's not in it for the glory. He's simply being faithful to do what God had called him to do. A second characteristic of David is integrity. David is honest. He's exactly who he says he is. He's extremely transparent, as you're going to see later in the story. Now, he's not always going to be honest. There are going to be times when he falls short. But all in all, David is just kind of all out for God. The story of David is not a quick success story. In fact, it's a story with many struggles. But it is a story of faithfulness in the midst of trials. It's a story of faithfulness in the midst of mistakes. It's a story of faithfulness even in the little things. You know, one of the cool things about David is that he authored several dozen psalms And as we go through this series, this story, we're going to highlight these psalms. We're going to sing some of the psalms. You're going to hear readings from the psalms. And as we watch David's struggles, we can read his words to God. And these words reveal his heart. You know, as we read Psalm 51, we understand that it's David's response to God after his sin with Bathsheba. And maybe you're going through a time when you've sinned, when you've messed up. You can pick up Psalm 51 and you can read it. And it's an appropriate response to sin. It it leads us toward repentance. And as we read that story, we understand that David's story really is our story. I'm not sure where you are this morning. I don't know, maybe you find yourself in a place where you're not sure if God could use you. I mean, maybe you've messed up in the past, maybe you've made mistakes, but... You really do want to follow God. You want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. 
the, the message this morning is that God is looking for those who are passionate about following Him. He's seeking those who are willing to follow His heart. This morning we're challenged to be a people after God's own heart. We're challenged to be a people who long to do what God wants us to do. And in contrast to David, Saul is a man who ran away from God. He tried to weasel out of his mistakes. The invitation this morning is to run toward God. The the invitation this morning is to drop whatever it is that we're carrying, our pride, our mistakes, our reputation, and release our own heart and to take on God's heart. Would you pray with me? God, we're grateful this morning as we step into the story of David to understand that he's a man after your own heart. God, help us as we read this story, as we study this story, to be a people whose hearts are aligned with your heart. God, this morning as we think about drawing near to you, as we think about our hearts being aligned with your heart, open our hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.